This podcast is a ministry of Christian Life Center in Berwyn, Illinois. Our goal is to create a real faith for the real world, and we hope this helps you grow. For more information at Christian Life Center, visit us at our website, www.berwynag.org. Thank you. Jesus and three disciples, the uh, disciples Peter, James, and John, have been up on the mountaintop in 9, 9 verse 1. Been up on the mountaintop. And <clears throat> at the, and the mountain, they saw Jesus uh, in his, on the Mount of Transfiguration. So it's important to kind of recognize where they are when they, when they first visualize this. They they're on this, this high mountain, they're seeking the Lord in prayer. Suddenly, Jesus is turned snowy white, whiter than his clothes could ever be bleached, we're told. And that his, his uh, suddenly, it, while they're praying, Elijah and Moses come and speak to Jesus. Now, you can imagine this. Is, <clears throat> I've had some good prayer meetings, but Elijah and Moses haven't showed up. But, uh, but Elijah and Moses showed up at Jesus' prayer meeting, and as they're there, showing up to his prayer meeting, they, uh, they start talking to Jesus. They're, the disciples don't know what it is that, that, um, that, they're say, that Elijah and Moses are saying to Jesus. We don't, we're not told that. <clears throat> it's not written in the scripture anyway. But we know that Elijah is there because he's representative of all the prophets. And Moses is there because he's representative of all the, the law. And so, <coughs> excuse me. In fact, the, the law and the prophets are testifying to Jesus being the Christ. And so the law and the prophets are there speaking to Jesus, and if that wasn't enough of a rock and prayer meeting, then suddenly <clears throat> a voice from heaven says, this is my son, listen to him. And so uh, they've just had this great prayer meeting. They're coming down the side of the mountain, and they get outside the, the camp, the congregation of the of the people of Israel, or congregation of the, of the disciples, rather. And as they get down there, they hear arguing. It's hard to believe that there was arguing in the church, isn't it? It's, hard, it's just so hard for me to believe that. But that's what they hear, and that's where we come into this passage of Scripture. We come to this passage of Scripture in verse 14. <coughs> Excuse me. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a crowd, a large crowd, around them, and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing about with them, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son, who is possessed by a spirit <clears throat> that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground, and he foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Let's stop there for a second. And this is the problem. And this is the what reason I'm calling this sermon the power outage. <clears throat> power outage because there is a, the problem is that the, the church, or at least the, these three disciples in Jesus, have been up on the mountain and been at a great prayer meeting. They've seen the manifestation of God. They've seen wondrous things in the Spirit. And as they come down, <clears throat> they are walking into the carnality, the need, the brokenness of humanity. They're walking down into the hurt and the wounds 
and the frustration <clears throat> and the chaos of this life on earth. Thank you so much, brother. <clears throat> Thank you. <clears throat> so they're walking down, in, and as they come down in, into this, it sort of reminds us that no matter how great your prayer meeting is, no matter how good <clears throat> your time with the Lord is, no matter what is going on in your prayer time, you still have to come down and walk amongst the people. You're still going to go rub shoulders with the poor and the brokenhearted and those that are, are hurting and those that are wounded. And no matter what kind of revelation you get, you, even if it's the greatest of all revelations, you still have to come down and walk with the people. You still have to be ministering to people and the brokenness that's, that's around us, that, that surrounds us. And so we see <clears throat> this happen right here, and Jesus hears them arguing because whenever there's a power outage in the church, whenever the church doesn't have the power to minister to the needs that are broken within the, com within the community around them, when the church can't address the issues of the spirit, of the broken spirits of people around them, then people begin to pick and fuss at each other and people begin to, to snipe at each other because they're frustrated because they know there should be something more uh, going on there. And so <clears throat> when Jesus is, is doing this, he's coming down to speak to them. There's no doubt that, that healing is the Father's will in this case. We know Jesus is going to settle that issue for, for us in, in just a moment. <coughs> Please, excuse me. But the power of God is there for, for, for a reason. And uh, this demon has possessed this young boy, stolen away his ability to speak, and has just, is just trying to destroy his life. Every time the Spirit begins to manifest on him, this, this demon spirit begins to manifest on him, he wants to throw his, his self into the fire or into the water to, to extinguish his life. To, he's so tortured by this spirit. Now somebody will for sure ask me, Pastor, do you believe there's demon spirits <clears throat> today? Of course I do. It may, be, it may look a little different, but the, the object is the same. The spirit is trying to kill you. It's trying to get you, in fact, just as this child, to kill yourself. And so trying to provoke you to throw yourself into the fire or throw yourself in the water and drown yourself or bury yourself in drugs and alcohol or bury yourself in that, that same demonic spirit is trying to work on the inside of you to steal away the life that God has given you, to take away the business that you built or the family that you... That same demonic spirit is trying to entice you into this broken broken mess that, that is our, our lives, you know. And so, uh, yeah, I believe there's demons. I believe there's demons out there that are, that are working right now, trying to wreck families and marriages and trying to wreck our institutions, trying to destroy the church, trying to destroy... Jesus said in John 10 that, that the, the enemy comes to rob and kill and destroy. I don't think there's ever been a time when Jesus rescinded that. I think he... That there's an understanding that the enemy is still robbing, still killing, and still destroying. Amen? He wants to rob, kill, and destroy you. On the other hand, Jesus came for life abundant. To give us life abundant. Would you look to your neighbor and wish them an abundant new year? <clears throat> That's what we wish for you. An abundant new year. Who it is that Jesus hears arguing is the disciples and the religious authorities, the teachers of the law. 
<clears throat> See, religion always has an opinion on everything. I said religion always has an opinion on everything. And so I'm sure, now I, I would bet that these disciples had done everything they could possibly do, everything that they'd seen Jesus do to cast that demon out. Don't you think so? Everybody is looking at you. You're trying to minister freedom in the name of Jesus. And so what are you doing? The first guy says, I command you, Spirit, in the name of Jesus to come out. The next guy goes, no, 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 like this. In the name of Jesus, come out. <clears throat> Third guy says, in the name of Jesus. And I'm sure they have tried every which way, everything they have seen Jesus do, even some things they hadn't seen Jesus do, to try to get this, this to spirit to leave this boy alone. And they come up flat, they come up with nothing, after even demonstrating, trying to demonstrate that there was the power in the kingdom, they cannot, they cannot demonstrate that there's this power in the kingdom. And so <clears throat> the frustration is starting to rise up within the disciples, and they're snipping at the, the, law, the, the teachers of the law, and the teachers of the law are saying, you're doing it wrong, you know. And, and they're, so they're arguing, and Jesus walks in, and Jesus takes a look at the situation, and he makes an assessment. You find the assessment... Uh, down in verse, uh, uh, help me, Jesus. Uh, right, 19. Oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me, he says. So they bring the boy to Jesus. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> the, the issue here is, Jesus' assessment reveals some things to us that we should be attentive to. Jesus says, this generation is a generation that has a faith problem. They don't have the ability to believe and trust God. They don't have the ability to put their trust in God. This generation, and I believe as Jesus is speaking this, he's aiming this at the general generation, but he's also including those disciples that were left behind who haven't seen these wonderful things on the mountain, he's including them because they're having a, a faith crisis at the moment. They're having a problem too. And, it, and it's, it's kind of the similar thing today. People have a problem with faith. And, the, and the, the next thing he says is that he's frustrated about how long he will have to stay. How long must I be here, right? How long will I be around this generation, this faithless generation? I have always read that as Jesus being frustrated because Jesus was, was maybe longing for heaven. Or, but but, I, but I'm, I look at that a little bit different today because I, I'm looking at that and I'm seeing that Jesus is saying, how long, in other words, not how long do I have to stay here as much as how long do I have to invest in these faithless people so that I can raise the level of their faith to the place because I'm going to entrust the entire gospel and the kingdom to these people. How long will I have to be here? How much can I invest in them? And in other words, Jesus assesses the problem with, the, with not only this boy, but the whole culture is a faith issue. The whole problem is a faith issue that we as people of faith are are missing this understanding of this because we don't recognize that the faith issue that's out there is also a faith issue that's in here. This faithless generation is the generation that we've come out of. And we wrestle with this faithless, faithlessness, and then we wrestle with, with this frustration of how long will we have before we can, 
before we will finally get it. And I think Jesus is thinking, uh, you know, I've only got three years before the cross. How much can I really train them? Now, just think about where were you after you knew the Lord three years? What were you doing after you'd known the Lord for three years? Probably not casting out these demons like, like these guys are. He reminds us of the destructive nature of, the, of Satan's possession. And then he says, everything is possible to him who has faith. This faithless generation has a faith problem, and how long will I be here to invest in the faith of these people? And everything is possible if someone truly has faith. That's what he's saying. It's all about faith. This is a faith problem, a faith problem, a faith problem. What Jesus is not saying is that there are special demons that can only come out by prayer and fasting. Here, that's good preaching and you missed it. What Jesus is saying is they're not special demons that are locked in and only can come out by praying and fasting. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not saying some demons have real deep hooks and they get real far in there and then you have to pray them out. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, well, let's take a look who these people are. These people are the disciples. Go back to chapter 6 and verse 7. Go ahead and turn, turn your Bible back a page or two. Back to, to chapter 6 and verse 7. And we read that these guys have already been given the authority of Jesus. They've been given the authority of Jesus to cast out demons. Now, now <clears throat> in verse six, or chapter 6, verse 7, it says, Calling the twelve to him, he began to send them out two by two, and gave them authority over impure spirits. So they have the authority, right? Look down in verse 12 and 13. It says, They went out and preached that people should repent, and they drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. So not only do they have the, 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 anoint, the, uh, uh, the authority, they have the experience of the authority that it works. Like you and I. We've been given the authority of Christ over the demonic. We've been given the authority of Christ over evil spirits. What Jesus is saying is much deeper than the authority issue. Now, Jesus now shows by healing this, this demon-possessed child, he delivers him of the Spirit by casting that Spirit out with a simple word he speaks. And the, and the Spirit is, has to leave him. Now the Spirit thrashes and throws the child down, and certainly there were people there who were saying, oh, he's, he's killed the boy. But he didn't. The Spirit left him and the child was restored. And then they all leave, and they go into a private room, and in the private room, the disciples say, Jesus, I have to know, how come we couldn't cast out the Spirit? And Jesus says, this kind only comes out by prayer. By prayer. King James Version says, and fasting. That isn't found in any manuscript that's, new, that's older than a thousand than the year 1,000. 
So the oldest manuscripts say this kind only comes out by prayer. Now, if you want to pray and fast, that's okay. No problem with praying and fasting. But Jesus is not saying to his disciples, you have to pray and fast these, these out. What Jesus is saying is, you have the authority, you have the experience. You can cast out these demons. The problem is your prayer life. The problem is your prayer life. The demons can see through the facade of the authority because you're handling the authority loosely, but you don't have the, the, the fullness on the inside of you. You don't have the real experience. You don't have the knowledge and the intimacy with God to carry the authority. You're, the amount of authority that you can carry is limited to the amount of intimacy that you have with God. That, that, that to me, is revelation for us today because we, we are facing hard issues. We are facing demons that don't want to come out. We are facing issues that we have to... You have to have a prayer life to overcome these things. You have the authority. You have the Word of God. You have all the things that you need. But the limit of your personal faith comes down to your prayer life. Why don't we pray? Well, I'm, I'm too busy to pray, Pastor. <clears throat> well, that's true. If you can't pray because of your job, then you're too busy. So I'm going to give you some earnest pastoral advice. If you can't pray because of your job, Tuesday morning, walk into your boss's office and quit. Quit your job. Because your job is keeping you from prayer. Because nothing should get in the way between you and God. And if you have this much faith, you should walk in that office and say, I, this is keeping me from the presence of the Lord, and then you should quit your job. I expect everyone in here whose prayer life is suffering because of their job that they should walk in on Tuesday morning and quit their job. But you won't do that because you know it's not your job. It's not your job. Your job isn't what keeps you from praying. What keeps you from praying is you like to sleep in that extra half an hour. That's what keeps you from praying. You like to stay up too late. You like to watch all those TV shows and go out to the movies and have fun with your friends, but you don't like to pray. What keeps us from praying are the things that we set up as obstacles in our, in our life of prayer. If we really boil it down to why we don't pray, it's because we're spiritually undisciplined. It's because we don't prioritize our the spiritual things in our life. We let everything else demand its priority, but spiritual things, that's chump change that we pick up only when we have nothing else to do. And I'm talking about Andy Griffith reruns come before prayer. Everything. We don't pray because we are lukewarm. We don't pray because we have no desire for intimacy with the God who said He would spit us out if we are lukewarm. We don't pray because we've lost our first love. All these things are reasons why we don't pray. Don't blame your boss and your job. We know why. 
look in the mirror. Thou art the man, as the prophet Nathan said to David. You're the guy. You're the guy who's to blame for this whole thing. You're the one who's not following through on this. Your faith is left undeveloped because faith is developed in a place of prayer. And so if your faith is minuscule and dwarfed and anemic, if your faith is, is atrophied, if your faith is, is weak, then it's because you're not spending time in prayer. And the truth of the matter is, this kind only comes out by prayer, by people who have prayer in their life. God is not going to give you special authority over certain spirits. He's already done that. He's already given that to you. Most of you in this place do not need more Bible knowledge. Most of us need to spend time in prayer. You say, Pastor, don't you have anything else than that? Nope, that's it. We're lazy and we don't pray. Oh, you don't know how busy I am. I'm more busy than you, I bet. I still pray. I don't pray enough. I need to pray more. How many of you need to pray more? Raise your hand. Now, God's watching, so if you need to pray more, raise your hand. Nice. And, come on, lift your hand high. That's about as close of a 100% vote than we've ever got on anything in this church in my lifetime. <laughs> Every single one of us know we need to pray more. We have to be people who move in the direction of prayer. All the spiritual authority in the world, all the biblical knowledge is not going to change anything until we embody it in our own life in prayer. Let us be that people. I'm challenging this church to pray with me 30 minutes for 30 days. 30 minutes. You pick the 30 minutes, just pray 30 minutes. Just begin to seek the Lord. You can start tomorrow when you have the family gathered there for New Year's Day. Begin the year off on day number one and begin to pray over your family Pray with your family. Believe God for the best, for the breakthroughs in the children's lives, breakthrough in marriages, breakthrough in the people that are gathered together there in that, in that family, and begin to believe God together. And, and for 30 days, let's believe God that we can pray together 30 minutes for 30 days. 30 for 30. You with me? That God will so anoint us that we'll begin to see the breakthroughs in the realm of the Spirit that we need. You say, there must be some magical fairy dust that you can sprinkle over me to make me a prayer warrior. Nope, there's nothing. Here's what it takes. You've got to bend that knee. You've got to get yourself down next to that bed. You've got to develop a list of things that you're going to bring to the Lord, and you have to spend quiet time listening to the voice of God. There is no way anyone can do it for you. Sometimes, my wife will make dinner and leave it on the counter for me to go in and have. And I will sit in the living room, reading or whatever I'm doing, and then she will walk in, concerned a little bit later, and say, Honey, I made you dinner, but you didn't go in there and get it. Secretly, I know 
that I'm too lazy to even go feed myself. No, this is the truth. Secretly, I know that if I sit there long enough, she loves me enough out of concern that she will say, Pobrecito, let me give you a plate. You know, you're too stupid to feed yourself. Let me bring this in, Nito. And then I'll bring this into you. And you can eat this and get sustenance for your body. If I would just wait there and look pitiful enough when she comes in, oh, honey, I'm so busy. I'm reading this and it's just it's so inspiring. I'll get you a plate, she said. And that's what we do with prayer. It's available to us 24-7. And we don't pray. And the reason we don't pray is because we're too lazy to get up and go feed ourselves. Except mama is not coming to teach you how to pray. You already know how to pray. Bow your knee and seek the Lord. Let us do that. 30 minutes for 30 days. Let us seek the Lord our God. Let's pray together. Father, in Jesus' name, let this be the end of old habits and excuses and laziness and all that other stuff. And let us hold fast to this commitment to be able to seek you, Lord. I know you will empower our lives. I know you will help us. And I ask you, Lord God, to meet us in that place. I pray that there will be fired up prayer rooms in every home that are represented here in this church, Lord. And that for these next 30 days, you will meet us in powerful fashion. Speak to us through your word. Direct us by your spirit. Give us understanding into deep, deep truths. And so challenge and, and deepen our root system, Lord, that we will be better for it, Father. Now, on the other end of it, Lord, we pray for miracles and signs and wonders to flow out of not some other guy that you're bringing in here, Lord, but us. Let us be battle ready, Lord, as you've called us out. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I hope you were able to receive this prayer week devotional when you came in. Inside that, there was tucked a little, I am consecrated. It's the theme for our next year, consecration. Would you stand with me? And we're going to read through the confession of the consecrated. For the first time, and not the last. The power of the words of your mouth are that they direct the thoughts of your heart and they direct your feet. So while it may seem a little bit contrived at first, let us believe the truth in the word as we confess this. I, some of you probably need to do this every day. And just confess this before your day begins. I am consecrated to you, God. I have surrendered to your spirit. Your purpose has become mine. Your will is my pleasure. Your heart is revealed in me. My life is not my own. I have become yours fully. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives within me. My life has been touched and set apart for your purpose. 
My ears now hear your word. My hands now do your will. My footsteps are directed by your spirit. I am consecrated. I am anointed by the, with the oil of gladness above my fellows. I respond to a different trumpet. I stand in the breach in prayer. I am a citizen of heaven. I live for his praise. I am consecrated. I have a good shepherd I will not want. I am never alone in the fires. The waters do not overwhelm me. No weapon formed against me shall succeed. And no foe can derail what heaven has set in motion. I am consecrated. Thanks for listening to today's message. We hope you were blessed by it. If there's anything that we can do to help you further your relationship with God, we would love to be a part of it. You can contact us through our website, www.berwinag.org. Thank you, and God bless.